Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Shuttle Pod. This is episode 57. It is August 20th, 2018. I'm Brian Drew, and I'm here along with Matt Wright. Hey. And Mr. Jared Whitley. Hello friends, welcome back. Yes, welcome back everybody. As been often the case lately, we were planning on doing something else entirely today, but news events have forced us to change our plans a bit. So we would do, thought we would do more of a newsy podcast today. So we've had two rather large news events happen in the past couple of weeks. The first being Ethan Peck being cast as Spock for the second season of Star Trek Discovery. And also news about the Kelvin timeline films and the issues involving a salary dispute with Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth, and Paramount. But let's get to the Spock news first. So the news came out that Ethan Peck, who is the grandson of the legendary Hollywood actor Gregory Peck, will be playing Spock in the second season of Discovery. We don't know exactly how much of the season he's going to be in. We don't think much. Mm -hmm. But this is obviously a big deal. He is going to be the third actor, third major actor, I should say, to play play Spock, the other two obviously being Leonard Nimoy and Zachary Quinta. This is the second time in a decade that the character of Spock has been recast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, from a looks standpoint, I don't know personally know much about Mr. Peck's acting career, but he certainly has the right look. So uh, what do we think about this, boys? I mean, do do we like this idea? Do we, you know? Yeah, I think it's okay. Like sort of the, like you were saying, Brent, I don't actually know much about him as far as an actor. He did a lot of stuff uh, that was, you know, kind of teeny stuff, right? Because he's on, he's thirty two, which is about the right age for Spock, by the way. But yeah, he's right. thirty two. Leonard, right, Leonard Nimoy was thirty five at the beginning of the first season, right? And, and if you go by the the birth dates that we that we now have like established, Spock should be about twenty seven ish in Discovery, in Discovery season two. So this is about right. You know, this is all okay. yeah, it's right. close enough. It's yeah, close, close enough. enough. Um, but yeah, he, so he came up doing a lot of stuff sort of in the early two thousands. As like you know, teen stuff. He was on an ABC Family sitcom. He was, uh, re- you know, reoccurring role on Gossip Girl, stuff like that. That like, pff, I don't, you got me. Like I never saw that because I was too, you know, that wasn't. I was too old for that at that point. You right, know? right, not your um, thing. Right. So I don't actually know much, but um, I, you know, it made me a little skeptical. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here's another sort of CW type, like star hired, like which may or may not be a good thing. I don't know, but. Uh, uh, we we have this linked on our website too. Among other things, is various video clips of him talking, um, and he certainly seems to have the right both sort of voice, like tone of voice, and look mm-hmm. for it, which is good because um, you know it's hard to find that look and that voice that you need. Right, that's a hard mix to find. It is. It is. And so I thought that was really cool. And I think the other thing that made me at least feel a little bit better. Is that the Nimoy family tweeted out a nice photo of him with everybody. Yeah, you know, with, including, yep. including Terry Farrell. Right, with Adam and Julie and their spouses, which of course also includes right. Jadzia Dax herself. Um, all, you know, sort of giving their stamp of approval. And I thought, okay, mm-hmm. well, that that I think that made everyone feel better too. I think that made everybody just kind of go, okay, well <laughs> if the Nimoy family says so, like this is probably all right, you know? <laughs> Jared, what do you think? Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think they should 
shoehorn Spock into the series at all. No, I think that's I th- kind of. I think that's something we can all agree upon. This probably should have yeah. been done anyway. But since yeah. they did it, <laughs> see, yeah, my, since they my, did it, yeah, yeah, my, my preference for. Maybe I'm repeating myself. My preference for any references to the original series or whatever is to find something obscure and make it cooler, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, I want a six-part series about Garth of Izar, right? Or King the Execu- or Kodos uh, the Executioner, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that where they drill deep into something that a lot of people don't know a lot about, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a way that, that I think can invest people more in, in some more obscure parts of the franchise. But continually going back to the well of the stuff that people really know, yeah, I think I think can poison the well, so yeah. to speak. And and this yeah. is I think what's what Star Wars is suffering from so much is they just keep going back to sure. rehashing the same jokes and scenes. Well, and they, and and in the same vein, they had to cast a, they just had to make a young Han Solo, right? They just had to cast someone in yeah. the iconic footsteps of Harrison Ford, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, it's a little as um, we know, it's iffy. It's risky. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, my opinion doesn't matter, which is okay. Uh, so, in regard to uh, the young man in question, uh, he certainly, like I say, seems like he's up to the task. Uh, really cool that he is the grandson of Gregory Peck. Yep. Uh, yeah, makes me want to rewatch *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, I, I I wish him the best in this. And and I hope that there are no awkward moments between him and Zachary Quinto anytime in the next little while. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody gotten a reaction out of Zachary Quinto about this? Uh, by I, the no, way? I, haven't, I don't. I, seen I don't believe. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, not yet. Okay, it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to it. As soon as he shows up on screen, I have a feeling people will then run into Quinto and go, "What did you think? What did you think?" You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's definitely going to be asked about yeah, it multiple, yeah. several times. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I was wondering if they'd find the kid who played uh, young Spock in 2009. Right. Although if you've seen him, when you fi- see him today, he doesn't really look Spocky anymore. Oh, does he? But this, yeah, this came up a while ago, sort of chatting amongst ourselves, and we kind of looked for him, and it was like, oh, okay. Eh. So, you know, kids change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, for, for when it came out, he looks just like Spock in yesteryear. That was perfect casting. Oh, it was great. It really was. Yeah, yeah it really it was. was. Perfect. Spot on. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. JJ, JJ Abrams has a flair for casting. There's no doubt mm. about that. So, um, do we know if Sarek is going to return too? Uh, oh, yeah. We would assume so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I he, mean, he was, remember, he was he, in the finale. So, yeah. he was on the Discovery in, in, in the finale. So, oh, sure. So he'll he'll yeah I mean I don't think he will interact with Spock, no in any way, of course and that goes back to how much we will actually see of Spock right and I don't think we'll see a lot but they're set they set us up to to not to assume there there won't be a lot of him I think I figure so. it'll be like two episodes at the end of the season that's well. kind of what I think too yeah could very well be and very and well perhaps be. the perhaps some kind of hollow recording for left behind in his quarters. You know what I mean? They might tease it towards the beginning of the season, and then we won't really see him in person. Oh, like just a little, like just a little message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To my adopted sister. Yeah, exactly. I have watched your career with interest. <laughs> that, that kind of thing. I don't know, maybe because we know we see Burnham, you know, kind of accessing his personal logs and stuff uh, in the first look trailer. That 
predominantly is from the first episode or two of the oh, season. Sure. Right, right. So, She's in Spock's quarters, and she, yeah, she kind of rummaging through his stuff, basically. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, she says that he's part of the mystery of those seven red bursts that Pike commandeers the Discovery for. Um, so they're really they're making it pretty clear that no, he's not just going to like appear in episode three. Like he's gone on leave. Probably it seems to be in search of answers about this mystery as well kind of right. you know all the him and feeder sort of you know sh- like shadows of that sort of and then uh so yeah i don't think we'll see him right away not at all yes yeah. they're gonna go off on a search for spock <laughs> yes i'm not kidding jared that's what they're doing that's that that's certainly the way it seems isn't it it's certainly the way it seems right now yeah the thing is if you watch that movie there really isn't much of a search for him Right, they know exactly where he is. They that do. That is true. Of, they of they do. To get there, and it's like, oh, there he is. That is a good observation. There's mm-hmm. a lot of observations to make about the search for Spock, which we will do soon. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I I think that is the most influential movie in the franchise's history. If you look at the the themes they come up with in the art direction, that set the tone for the next 10, 15 years. Anyway, oh, but we'll wow. save that for more for later. Yeah, All to right. be defended later. That's that's good. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, little 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 tease by Jared Whitley for our upcoming <laughs> Star Trek Three podcast, which I'm sure we'll do that before the end of the year. Yes, we'll probably. For those of you who have asked about this, we're, I think we're going to probably do things a little differently. We're, typically, we've been going backwards, and Star Trek Three would be next. But I think Kayla pointed out quite correctly that since Three is such a direct sequel to Two. We're going to do the Wrath of Khan first, then sure. do the search for Spock. Sure. Mix it up a little for a good reason. Yeah, Yeah, for good reason. For good reason. Yeah. Anyway, back to our regularly scheduled program. Well, I, I, I guess that's about it. I mean, there's, we know so little that that's as much as we can go into detail that's, with. Yeah, that's it, about yeah it's true. There, that's about all we know. <laughs> I mean, I think, what episode are they up to now in production? Um, Nine? I think they should be... Yeah, probably eight or nine is guessing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're get, so they're getting into the back half of the seat. The back. They're like getting down to close right. to the stretch, which is almost certainly why they announced him because they knew that at some point he will be showing up in Toronto and people will right. notice. <laughs> right. Right. So, right. Hey, this guy looks a lot like Spock. And he just like landed in Pine. You know, he just arrived at Pinewood, Toronto. What's that about? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so they're getting ahead so, of that. Yep. So. We shall see. Good way to grab some headlines, right? That That's the other thing. If they cast, like, Garth of Izar, no one's going to write about that except us, right? But if they cast a new Spock, oh, of course. they'll get a much bigger impact. Oh, sure. So, that's a much bigger deal. I mean, I get why they do it. It's just one of the annoying things of, of fandom, modern fandom. It is. It's true. All right. Well... The other big news that came down the pike, and this kind of came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. was the news that Paramount and Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth are all at loggerheads regarding salaries that were previously guaranteed, apparently, and options that the actors had that the studio now wants to renegotiate right. for a lower salary. Um, Paramount is disappointed in the box office results of the Kelvin movies, and I assume specifically Star Trek Beyond, which had a large drop-off in worldwide box office. So the previously negotiated salaries that they have with the actors 
I guess, were based on maybe a, you know, Star Trek 09, Star Trek Into Darkness kind of box office gross. And now the studio doesn't want to make a film that would cost as much as, say, Into Darkness or Star Trek Beyond cost, which was about 190 to $200 million, I believe. And they don't want to do that. They they want to protect their investment. They, they, I think, feel that Star Trek is kind of falling into the trap it's always fallen into, which is that it's mostly a North American phenomenon. And that right, right. it's not going to do a huge worldwide box office, so you're not going to spend $200 million on a film franchise that might do $400 million worldwide, which is not acceptable. Right. Um, and even, even Into Darkness... Only did four hundred fifty-seven million, I think, worldwide. Which on a two hundred million dollar investment is pretty awful. Yeah, I mean, I think that movie probably, in order for that to have been something Paramount was really happy with, I think it would have needed to gross what six hundred, maybe something in that neighborhood. Sure, because I think that's what like a crazy Marvel movie does in its sleep. You know. Yeah. Internationally. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Paramount is having kind of a reality check regarding the, the Kelvin timeline bad robot star trek movies this is one of those things that sort of irks me too though is that like i think we we all knew this right star trek fans we know that like no you can't make it a summer tentpole that competes with marvel right you can't we we knew this go go ask harv bennett right like yeah come on we knew we knew this and it's like okay so uh, if you had sort of adjusted your expectations accordingly long 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 ago at this point yeah maybe we wouldn't be here in this situation but whatever yeah well, i think the first one that they made cost about 150 that sounds right i believe mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's a good number for a star trek movie in this day and age it is that's, that that's about reasonable. right that's yeah. about right so i don't know what they're currently thinking what paramount is currently thinking anyway the, the, the whole idea for this the whole premise behind this movie obviously was that they were going to bring chris hemsworth back as george kirk and through some sort of contrivance be it be time travel or something Chris Pines, Jim Kirk, and Hemsworth, George Kirk were going to have some sort of adventure together. It was going to be this father-son thing, blah, 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 blah. Yep. I can't say I was too enamored of that idea, but... No. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. But, was, you know, that's what they were going for. You know, they, you know, and uh, this is not insightful at all, but they just want to be able to put Thor on a, uh, oh. a movie poster. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Right. Yeah, because oh, no question. Hemsworth just got super famous after Star Trek 09, so of course they're yeah. like, how do we bring him back and use him? Like, Right, right, yeah. yeah. It's totally, this is totally a vehicle for Chris Hemsworth, there's See, no question. And, and, and from Chris Hemsworth's position, uh, the Thor Ragnarok was so much better than anyone expected, to the point where people are saying, not that that's the end of the Thor trilogy as solo films, but is this the beginning of a new trilogy of, of Thor films? And is there going to be like more integration with him and the Guardians of the Galaxy? Which then, of course, that brings Zoe Saldana into play more. That's the thing that surprises me when they talk about like casting for for Star Trek Four. How on earth are they going to get Zoe Saldana to come back? If they, yeah, if they did another one. That's the other thing because she's now like probably the biggest star of the whole group. Honestly, I, easily. I, I'm guessing. Easily. I'm guessing that they are more worried about Kirk and Spock. And George Kirk and everybody else will have smaller roles and their salaries yes, will be negotiated I, I along so those too. lines. Yeah, I think so too. I, that's why that's how they're trying to keep it under control, I suspect. Just, whether just that, whether they'll be able to work or characters. not, who knows. Yeah, I think the whole movie's built around about Kirk the Kirks, basically. Yeah. I think that's right. the whole idea. 
Yeah. My thing, though, is what I would love to see, and I know they would never do this, this is just fantasy, but uh, I have always thought that the two standouts from the Kelvin-verse are Carl Urban and Simon Pegg, and so I would like to see a movie just, you know, like a buddy movie with Scott, like a blow-budget buddy movie with Scotty and McCoy, <laughs> d- directed by Edgar Wright. <laughs> yes, that'd be fun. Would be that'd like be like a hot fuzz of the future. And, and the thing is, you do something like that, and it doesn't need to be for $150 million right. for yeah. a kind of budget. And it's annoying that, just given the way the money of this works, that they, they can't do a small thing like that anymore. Like, could you imagine a studio executive getting a pitch from a screenwriter or a producer about, hey, let's make a move, a, a simple low-key movie with a low budget about trying to save some whales in San Francisco. How about that? Could you, yeah. could you imagine them doing that nowadays? No. Unthinkable. No. no. No way. No way. So anyway, it appears that Pine and Hemsworth are willing to walk away from the film. So... I think it's basically they're waiting to see if Paramount blinks. Right. It's it. This was clearly like sent to the Hollywood Reporter to sort yes. of publicize it and make probably put some pressure. Yes, this was people. sent directly to the Hollywood Reporter. Apparently, they're the only trade that got it. Variety and Deadline did not have it, or anybody else. The Hollywood right. Reporter had it. So, right. So they got somebody's this, somebody's agent. Yeah, this is <laughs> definitely a tactic, uh, negotiation tactic of sorts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. So it's been about ten days, and still we we don't know anything. Sadly, we don't know anything else yet. So. Yeah, I, I think it it might be a negotiation tactic for Chris Pine, but I can't imagine Chris Hemsworth cares at all, right? Oh. Well, they both got they bo- apparently they were both locked in back in twenty sixteen when JJ was all hyping. Yes, this, and so they already that, had these lock ins. Right, that in and of itself is news, by the way. Yeah, we didn't know that. We didn't right. know that. We knew we knew that Pine. He and Zachary Quinto both have options. Right. They had options for a fourth, but we had never heard anything about Hemsworth being locked Hemsworth. So apparently, yeah. yeah, I guess, yeah, they must have put him on some sort of retainer or something. Yeah. That's pretty smart to do that at that, uh, that time. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess Abrams couldn't really speak out like that in that junk. Because J.J. Abrams, while he was on a publicity junket for Beyond, kind of dropped that out of nowhere. And I guess yeah. they he had to have had some sort of legal... He had to have some sort of yeah <laughs> to the public. Sort it of certainly like, seemed yeah. very random. So yeah, yeah, very random. Yeah, it really did come out of nowhere. Because it's like, why are you having the fourth one when the third one's just being released? What, what's yeah, and we, I think we all kind of felt like it might have been a bit of a, a ploy to to goose yes the publicity around Beyond, which was probably not sure. tracking very well to to show more confidence. Yeah, 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 yeah and, and to give the movie a publicity boost. So well. Suffice it to say, they're sort of stuck now because they did apparently give them these, you know, give, negotiate these salaries back in 2016. So, yep, you know, what are you going to do? So yeah, so here that becomes the question now: What are the options? What do they do? Do yep. they recast? I mean, does anybody really think they would recast Chris Pine at this point? Nope, because no. he is Captain Kirk in the he's Kelvin Captain universe. Kirk. Yeah, in yep. the Kelvin universe, he is Captain Kirk. Yep, I just don't see that happening. I don't think anybody does. No. That I mean, seems... if that's going to happen, they might as well just drop the entire thing. Right. They might as well just drop the entire cast and start again. Like, forget it. Yeah. 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 So I think the only other viable option would be if, if they are really this dead set on the financial aspect of it, then you, and this is the drastic thing to do, but you drop Hemsworth altogether. Yep. 
you have to come up with an entirely new story and this and this becomes then this becomes another issue where they have a rushed production yes. and everything but yes, like, yes, yes. and you create an entirely new story and that's how you do it yep and that's essentially for other re- for different reasons that's essentially what happened with star trek beyond as yeah. folks may remember yeah true so, and beyond was written on the fly it was that when sam and peg recounted how it sounded crazy you know last minute yeah. Right, and as as much as I enjoyed Beyond, there, you can see it at certain times when you're watching the movie. Yeah, it, sure. The story doesn't all hold together very well, and like you particularly know, particularly with regards to the villain. Yeah, yes. the villain in particular. Yeah, yeah, Crawl yes. is where it's really noticeable. Yes, and and right. the thematic underpinning of the movie is a little shaky. And to that end, they actually did a pretty good job overall, making it feel pretty pretty good. You know, you wouldn't. It's only when you go back and sort of look at it with a fine tooth comb that you go. Oh yeah, there's yeah. problems here. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know. Oh yeah, but yeah, but Beyond is a Beyond is a fun little movie, no question. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, if they are going to go that route and drop Hemsworth, they're going to have to figure out, I would think, fairly quickly for a variety of reasons. Yes. The guys who were the guys who wrote the screenplay, Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne, are now in one of the key people involved in Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Yeah, which they're which like they're just throwing obscene amounts of money on, so they they can't. They got to get busy with right. that, and that's going to be a multi-year obligation. Yeah. That's going to just completely consume yeah. them. Yeah, the next five years of their lives. Yeah, at exactly, least. exactly. Yeah, so so we may have a thing where like <laughs> the first revision of the script is by those two guys, and then some another team comes in and right. uses either a few pieces of it or scraps, or they scrap it entirely, just like they did with Beyond. And when it yeah. gets to that part in the credits, in the opening credits, it's like the whole image and like twelve names. Yeah, crammed together there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Original story by blah blah blah. You know, then whatever. And 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 somewhere in there are Nicholas Meyer and Lawrence Kasdan. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. Sorry, I'm. Be- thank you. Thank thank you, Matthew. I'm becoming a little cynical in my. That's also really funny because <laughs> you basically just made a great twofer of both us, both a Star Wars and like a classic TOS movie era, like twofer kind of there when you did sure. that. Sure. Yep. Yeah, so I yeah. Like it. Do a I crossover. Like it. I like it. Yep. Um, that 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 make it so make a retcon Michael Burnham's character so she wasn't just rescued by Sarek and Spock, but she was also raised by Chewbacca, right? <laughs> just jam it all in there. Sweet. That's a, that's a, some serious fan fiction right there. Yeah, um, that's hardcore fanfic. <laughs> Where were we? Um, yeah, I derailed us. So we were talking. We we're talking about Patrick McCain, J.D. Payne. Yep. Um, well, the the last way to pay them basically. There's one other thing yeah. that they can do. Yes, but getting even before we get back to that though, if they were to do a rewrite or throw out the entire script, you know, yeah, I mean that that pushes the movie's production back at least six months. Yeah, for year. Yeah, which they, means they have to do this now. Basically, they have to make a right. choice. Which means now <laughs> you, we'd be staring at another four year gap between movies. Yeah, that's almost a given. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think if that happens, it's just like, I mean, that's it. it. That, that's it. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a real killer. Uh, as, as we found out between all well between the other installments too, they've been, they've been real momentum killers between yeah. each of them. Yeah. I, I mean, I watched, uh, 2009, in 2009, I watched that and it was so cool and was so fun and exciting and, and Netflix was a thing and I was able to go back and rewatch a lot of Star Trek and watch mm-hmm. a lot of Voyager and Enterprise I'd never seen before and I'm like, oh, this is great. I can't wait for the next movie when it comes out in two years. And then... It's like, nope. Yeah. 
Nope. And instead, of, instead, I got Super Eight. Yeah. 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 Hopefully, whatever they figure out, they do it quickly. Yeah, because there is yeah. still an opening in their for their 2020 summer slate of movies, and this is like the that's exactly where it would should in theory fit right in, but it's not going to be able to do that for very long, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> so. And like you said, Matt, the other option is, of course, just to pay them. Right. Now, how they figure out how to pay them, this is, of course, where it gets really dicey, right? Like, how does Paramount find the money to pay them? Because they're unwilling to risk upfront cash, which I don't really blame them, honestly, uh, as far as the risk part goes. Right. So there's the there's the other side of this, which is like you hope that you hope that the stars are okay being paid on the back end, as they say, which Mm -hmm. is like you get a cut of the theatrical revenue. Well, where no one may be happy with this is because we just talked about this, that the previous movies haven't been making money hand over fist the way they'd hoped, right? So then you're telling them to get a a percentage, you know, a cut of a cut that isn't all that great anyway. And Paramount wants, you know, kind of can't sacrifice it anyway, right? So nobody's really happy with that. But that may be one of those negotiations that they can do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that may be a possibility because as we mentioned, because they are starting to Paramount's starting to become real to the realization that these movies are not going to be worldwide phenomenons, financially these movies are now falling into the trap that the original cast and TNG cast fell into where a lot of the budget is taken up by the actors. Yes, right. Which, which then goes back to the problem of trying to adapt a movie for franchise from a tv franchise because then week to week it's a huge advantage to have a deep bench right because then mm-hmm. you can do a beverly episode this week and then a Jordy episode the next week or a data episode the week after that but in the movies you need to keep it to two or three characters and then yep yep you have a lot of people in the background yep. doing you nothing. pepper them in somewhere and yep yep it's tough yeah yeah it's tough this is going to be a tough one i i will say it's um one of the things that I'm sure Paramount noticed this and took a lesson from is that both Deadpool and Deadpool 2 did stuff on a budget that's a fraction of like their Marvel cousins. And one of the things that they actually were talking about with Deadpool 2, that that actually doing things on a budget afforded them, and we just, we just talked about this a little bit too, is that it afforded them some leeway with what they really wanted to do. Like they could actually write a story the way they wanted to because they, they were unencumbered. Right. Because they weren't trying really, really hard to, to get huge returns everywhere, you know, multinationally everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. They could actually just go, look, we know the story like is going to be more niche. We know it's probably going to not appeal to every person in China and the U S and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and yeah. South and, America. Right. And South America. So guess what? Our budget is smaller. Therefore there isn't, there's far less pressure from the studio on us to somehow write to that kind of, I don't know, almost generic, you know, sort of form you could say. Right. So they didn't have to. So they could include things like uh, LGBT characters that otherwise probably would have gotten them censored in China. Right. Like somehow just skipped, probably never even exhibited like things like that. Or, or, or put in a deleted scene that you dangle in front of Western offices, uh, offices, audiences, like jingling your cats and your keys in front of a cat. (laughs) <laughs> right, 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 and so they can get away with that kind of stuff. Truly, it's an it's to their advantage to do like a, a smaller budget, spend have le- you know have less money 
than the Marvel movies. They actually see that as an advantage because kind of like, you know, back in the day when we heard about, you know, the original series would occasionally put stuff in. I mean, this is a common censorship trick, right? You'd put stuff in that's so outrageous, the censors would cut it and you'd get left with like the real content you want. It's like, it's Mm -hmm. that kind of a trick, right? It's like, look. And so I feel like this is the thing that they need to think about with the Star Trek movies is, take look at Deadpool, you know, look at that kind of thing. Not not the R-rated side necessarily, but just the look at the fact that they knew that if they scaled down, they could tell the kind of stories they wanted within reason and tell right. the kind of stories they wanted. And I perhaps that's what Paramount has even sort of seen. And now they're like, well, we can't pay the two Chris's anymore because we have to scale back. Right. But yeah, yikes. Now here's the other X factor in all this. How does this affect the Tarantino project? Right. Well, the Tarantino project, here's the thing. I've been starting to think about that more too. I don't know about you guys, but if the Tarantino project is really this far out now, and it always going to be, it was always going to be fairly far out. Yeah. um, It probably doesn't even make sense like at all to have this cast, like in any way, shape or form at this point, because it's going to be so far out. No, they will be that much older. Um, The other thing is uh, if, if what, uh, they had said is true remember that uh that came out of the paramount um what exhibitors meeting or whatever when they first announced this is one of the variety reporters tweeted oh yeah by the way they think it's probably going to be in its own you know continuity or whatever Mm -hmm. and truly that's the only thing that makes sense at this point is that the tarantino thing is unto itself yeah yeah, and and he's gonna want you know he's gonna want to bring, um, Uma Thurman and Tim Roth and, and his <laughs> friends right, <laughs> right. Yeah, he he doesn't the 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 celebrity of a uh, Quentin Tarantino movie is Quentin Tarantino, right? So yeah. the idea of hey here's these six actors we need to bring back and you know he's not gonna worry about that at all. Tim Roth could be a heck of a bad guy. I'd I'd take it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, I th- I think I've begun on record. I want him to play a, a dark, gritty quark. <laughs> I like it. That's really <laughs> funny. I could see that. Yeah. Thank you. Then then you can get Samuel Jackson to play Benjamin Cisco. Yeah. Yeah. So that 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 just throws that entire project even deeper into mystery. I think. Yes, it does. Yes, it certainly does. Definitely interesting times in uh, Star Trek land right now. So let's see. What other things do we have here, boys? Oh, Matt, we uh, we've learned recently that uh, all access has finally joined the 21st century, as far as <laughs> that, audio goes. That's right. We we were actually sort of uh, mentioning this in our last podcast, so I wanted to bring it up again on our, on this one. That uh, all access was very much behind the times, and in fact, what this was true all the way through the first the the first season of Discovery, which is kind of a bummer. But uh, sometime a couple of months ago, it's not very clear when because they didn't exactly announce this to the skies. They just yeah, sort they of didn't quietly no, they didn't promote it at all. They just sort of quietly enabled this for you know sort of the common devices like Roku's and Fire TVs and stuff. Um, but at, at a certain point, sometime you know earlier this summer, they just kind of quietly enabled proper five point one support, and there you go. So it actually does work. It is noticeably better than the terrible, terrible uh, stereo like fold down from five point one that they were doing before. Because yeah. I, 
I, I, I, I threw it up on my Roku and did a few listen, you know, sort of listened, watched slash listened for a few minutes on a few different episodes. Some of the earlier ones where we've noted there were some kind of crappier audio quality, sometimes just from like Lorca was more mumbly in the beginning, things like that. Mm. And I thought it was, a, I, I thought you could tell, like it was definitely a little clearer thanks to actually having discrete channels, <laughs> including one for dialogue. So well, thank God. I mean, they, they, we know they were spending a ton of time mixing that show. I mean, they were. And that's what really stinks is um, people internationally got a 5.1 mix from the get go. People on Netflix have always had this people mm-hmm. up in Canada who saw this over um, cable on satellite, you know, on the space channel always had this. So it was very frustrating and kind of insulting that <laughs> this thing that was supposed to be the premiere show on their, for their, top you know thing to get you to subscribe their all you know their streaming service right yeah to this to this new you know newish streaming service of theirs was pretty behind the times in that regard so that's good that's you know that's better that's definitely an improvement i still think it's interesting they're so quiet about it that i don't think i even noticed until um a a couple weeks ago i saw somebody on twitter say it and i went oh yeah i need to check on that and then didn't do it until this week but yes I've actually confirmed that, at least on the Roku that I have. It does work. Hooray. <laughs> so that's kind of exciting. And the image quality, how is that looking? So unfortunately, I would say that that is still, that's that's the biggest thing. That has always been a major issue with them is that it looks really, really uneven to say the, yeah. to say the least. Very that, compressed looking at times. Yeah, it, it looks very poor at times. Um, and... The first thing you'll hear people cry is, oh, it's your internet connection. Oh, it's the device you're watching it on. Um, as the home theater reviewer for, you know, home video reviewer for a Trek movie, trust me when I tell you, I have tried this on multiple devices, multiple ways, mm-hmm. and I have a very fast cable internet connection. It benchmarks at about a 250 megabit down. So no, it is not my connection. It is not the device I'm using it on. I can yeah. repeatedly find these same artifacts. So I would really would like CBS to get on it because we know that's not a problem elsewhere. You right. don't, you know, it's not on Netflix. And the interesting part is it's not even when you subscribe to it, to all access through Amazon prime in their Amazon prime channels division. Um, so that tells me there's something wrong with the way all access is being delivered. Like mm-hmm. not the content itself, which we never really thought that. I think, I think we thought the shows themselves were probably gorgeous. Just, Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, so speaking of uh, Amazon Prime, they announced today that if you want to subscribe to All Access through them, they now have the cheaper version. So they've, they've had the $9.99 version with no commercials since uh, January. But they were supposed to at some point add the $5.99, you know, some commercials version at some point. So about eight months later, they finally have announced that yeah, you can now pick your plan if you subscribe to them through Amazon. So that's good. Good choice. Good for choice. Um, It also helps people. uh, Another benefit to the Amazon Prime thing that I had forgotten to to mention before, but I'll just mention quickly, is there are still a number of platforms that don't have an all-access app available. Um, Like LG smart TVs don't have it, things like that. And so, But they all have an Amazon app. So if you subscribe to all-access via Amazon Prime, it's actually accessible from your Amazon app. So basically anything that's got an Amazon app on it, boom now you have all access content through it so right it's kind of nice um 
but yeah, so they announced that today. So you get choice. Very cool. So so there's one other pretty big release that is coming out this week, I believe. Yeah. Uh, the Star Trek Lost Scenes book, which was available early at San Diego Comic-Con and in Star Trek Las Vegas, which is where we picked it up. Yeah. But it's, it's officially hitting the streets this week. This is exciting. This is a, a book that... As soon as I think, like I know Brian and I, as soon as we saw it announced, we were you know jumping out of our chairs to get it. Yep. Um, and we, but we of course both got it early at Star Trek Las Vegas because we were there, and and I was super excited that they had the copies there, not just at Comic Con, but then the next week available at Las Vegas. So mm. super excited. I've been flipping through it. I'm pretty excited with it. Um, to describe it for people who don't know, this is a really cool book for original series fans. Um, as I'm sure a lot of people kind of know the, the the story of Lincoln Enterprises, which is where Roddenberry kind of sold off various little Trek memorabilia in the late 60s and 70s. And then one of the biggest things that they did was take trims of film from the TOS episodes and sell it. And so what happened is scattered to the winds of collectors over the years have been, you know, uh, tr- trimmed, you know, alternate takes or just dailies which were never really meant to be used or mm-hmm. whatever oh, and wow. deleted and scenes sometimes deleted altogether. scenes sometimes mm-hmm. but but again since these are a little snip they've been snipped up into little you know two or three cells and, and sold so no no one really has a complete deleted scene but there's a couple frames or whatever um so what's really great is um these two fellas that are the wrote this book uh i already knew from their fantastic website called star trek history.com mm-hmm. which yeah. if you haven't been yeah. there absolutely check it out they've yep. already they for years have been doing restorations of these old film film cells because of course the film cells age they kind of turn magenta you know they they get weird because of the dyes and they um so they've been and they're not taken care of yeah right because they were they were cut up and thrown in somebody's shoebox or whatever you know and so what's cool is they've asked other collectors and other people, you know, basically done a big, you know, kind of, ca- you know, cattle call. Like, hey, if you've got film cells, uh, we can restore them for you. And so they've, they've got their own personal collection, other people's collections that are sort of donated to them, you could say, to be scanned and corrected, you know, color corrected and fixed up and, you know, scratch repaired, all the kind of things you'd expect for, you know, sort of photography of that age fixed up. And they've been doing that kind of quietly for years. Um, and of course, have been trying to be legit about it. And they've been trying not to let people, their website is very carefully curated and locked down mm-hmm. so that people can't swipe the images because they know that this is a labor of love. They don't really yeah. own, they don't own those images. They know that. And, and they don't want yep. people randomly swiping sort of beautifully restored TOS frames, you know, and yep. putting them out there. So the great part is these guys have taken a lot of pains and it got them, you know, officially noticed. Um, and so they now have an officially licensed book, Star Trek Lost Scenes, coming out. That's just really great. I mean, it's got all kinds of stuff. It's got a lot of historical context for, you know, the the trims that they've got. It's got um, script excerpts f- from when they were deleted scenes, you know, to give you the context of them. Um, they all And it all looks really great. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that, you know, it's like, wow, you wish that you could have seen these things. <laughs> originally you know like somehow um right, yeah. so this along with if you guys if any of you guys listeners have 
heard us talk about the Roddenberry Vault before uh, the Roddenberry from back Vault. in 2016, uh, which we were all yeah. very happy with. That's basically the same kind of thing. Like that's that's the that's Lincoln Enterprise's stuff that was still in Rod Roddenberry's hands, and they were able to scan com- complete or semi-complete scenes in and then share with us on Blu-ray. So this is yeah. kind of like that, but the the little tiny cut-up pieces that collectors have had. So you don't get you know complete like video clips. It's literally what they could assemble you know what they could find through their yep. own collections and anyway it's very cool totally worth your time if you're a big uh you know trek historian or like tos fan and you like to have a scene stuff especially it's really awesome it's like 270 pages and they have like 700 photos in it it's really great and that comes out this week and kudos to CBS for making that all happen. Yeah, and that's the really great part is this is all official. Like this was, you know, this is an official Titan Books, which is of course one of the official publishers, you know, blessed by CBS to do this. So it's mm-hmm. it's legitimate. It's not like, you know, their website was a fan, you know, was a fan thing, which which is awesome. But what's even more awesome is they got this officially blessed to do this by CBS. So. Yep. Really cool. Yep. Really cool. Yep. So check out the book and definitely check out StarTrekHistory.com. It's a great site. It's a great site. Um, and we should have a review soon, I think, of the book on cool. Trek Movie. So. All right. There you go. Excellent. Cool. All right, guys. I think we've uh, we've had ourselves a good little uh, podcast here. I think it's good. to agree. All right, then. So this is Brian, Jared, and Matt signing off. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>